at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, December 1st, 2022 edition. Yep, it is December. Christmas is just a few weeks away, and we're, it's a time of year where you look back and you assess. You assess what the market's done, uh, but most importantly, you assess the future because that's what's most important. The market does not care what happened in the past. Neither should you to a degree. You should care more about what the future holds for the economy, for companies, for sectors, etc. And that's your job in this final month is to take a step back. What lessons can you take from a year like this? And frankly, you learn a lot more from losses. And this is a year where there are more losses than gains for most people. And so, you know, a year like 2020, 2021 even, even though, uh, you know, the, the back half of the year wasn't, you know, fantastic. But those years, they felt good. But they really help you in your investment journey? Were you correctly looking at the right things? Or were you just married to price? Did you have good risk management skills? You know, watching the interview with uh, Sam Bakeman fried yesterday on the Wall Street Journal interview, this morning on, uh, I think it was a good day, good, good morning, America. Yeah. Uh, he was on a Twitter spaces again. He's kind of been on a media, a media tour from, a bah- from the Bahamas. And he has basically just tried to make the case that it was bad risk management. Now, I think it was definitely much more than that. He knew what he was doing, but the lesson from that in and of itself should be you need good risk management, whether it was a fraud or not. There was not enough risk management in place. And he learned those lessons the hard way. Investors learn the lesson the hard way, which is trust but verify. And there was far too much much trust in that space. Too many people chasing after returns and only looking at the numbers, not looking at the value. I've been saying this for years now. What is the value of crypto? And you have to ask the same thing 
about the companies that you own? What value are they bringing to their customers? And then how much is that really worth? For many of the exciting tech stocks from in 2000, their value was, their true value was nowhere close to what people were paying for it. And crypto is just an echo of that in, in a more extreme way. You know, nihilism taken to the nth degree. And these are events that you should learn from. And that's my goal here is to help you learn as much as you can, both the small things and the big things. So I'm Justin Klein. I'm here on this radio show and podcast to help you develop the right investment strategy for you to make good portfolio and money decisions each and every day. And so I look forward to this hour with you hearing your finance and investment questions. My phone number is open as always, 888 chart You can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Or if you're listening live during our four to five Pacific time live stream, you can call and talk to me live. I've got a lot of material for you today. One is in regards to RMDs. Required minimum distributions. What mistakes do you need to avoid? And also how to think about them in context to broader financial planning. We're going to look at that. Also, what are collateralized fund obligations? Are they similar to collateralized debt obligations, CDOs from the financial crisis? I'm going to say yes in a lot of ways. And this is where I think the biggest risk in the financial system lies today. So we're going to look at that. Also, retailers are dealing with a lot of inventory. Some of them are more comfortable with it than others. So we're going to look at that story and what that means for that sector. And then lastly, COVID controls in China and what sectors that may be hitting as well. So those are all on the docket for me today. But ultimately, it's about you and your calls, live calls, most importantly, but also our voice bank questions, which we're going to play. One is on uh, buying and selling stocks, and the other is on XUS Steel. Now, let's take a look at the market today. We had a modest down day overall. The U.S. market was down 0.05%. You had small caps down 0.08%. Mid caps were slightly higher. You definitely had growth outperforming the value side today, mainly because interest rates are down. Right, the 10-year is now down to 3.53% at the close today. And that's well off of its highs. It's approaching now the 100-day moving average, which it, it broke uh, below that a little bit in uh, late July and early August, but then marched higher. And so it's likely to be support once again right here around 3.4%. So I don't think we're going to get much more downside in interest rates in the near term. But this is all a reaction from the Fed, uh, from Powell's uh, speech that, yeah, December is going to be a pause. Uh, yesterday, 
not a pause, excuse me, a step down in uh, the magnitude of rate hikes. Yesterday, 50 basis points was priced in at about 75% chance in the market, and now it's at 80. So that's really what you're seeing here is uh, a more dovish Fed speak. You also had some economic data that came out today, and it was pretty poor overall. Uh, and uh, when I say that, it means the manufacturing PMI that came down at 49, that is the lowest level in, uh, it's, it's shrinking now, right? Uh, and then you had the prices paid index that was down to 43. That's the lowest level since May of 2020 in the heart of the shutdown, COVID shutdowns. So the inflation pressures on that side are certainly abating. Now, the most importantly will be next week's uh, ISM services PMI, not the manufacturing PMI, which has more of an impact on consumer prices. Uh, but that was another indicator that inflation is ebbing pretty quickly. And then you had the core PCE number that came in at 0.2% month over month. That's down from 0.5%. And it actually broke below year over year, below 5%, 4.98% on, on core PCE, which is something that the Fed, I'm sure, likes to see. Now, you did have, what was it, the Chicago? I believe it was the Chicago PMI. That came down dramatically. Uh, and uh, that one is something that is a clear indicator from the Fed that, you know, or, or from, yeah, from the economic data to the Fed that, hey, the economic situation is deteriorating. Uh, and that's why you're seeing the dollar down, you're seeing interest rates down, uh, because you're starting to see that uh, downside in the economy and thus lower rates. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This and the market is unpredictable and always changing. And that's why I'm here to answer your finance and investment questions. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads nearing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download, and hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7 rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Let's go to Jordan and Dana Point looking at BKE. Hey, Justin, how are you? Doing pretty well. Looking at Buckle again? Yeah, I own it. I'm wondering if I should hold on to it or sell it. I've done pretty well on it. I just want to get your opinion. 
Uh, yeah, I think we got a call on this. Was it late last week? Maybe it was Tuesday. I forget. It was recent. Uh, and we own this for clients. So we like it. Uh, good, consistent profitability. Earnings are flattening out, but still uh, hanging around that $5 a share figure and trading at $44 per share. Very minimal, minimal debt. Uh, it's, you know, just say incredible uh, balance sheet, uh, negative, uh, negative debt, right? Because it has cash on its balance sheet. Uh, and good, consistent profitability. Uh, I see no reason to be taking profits uh, here. Uh, technically, it remains strong, certainly outperforming the market and its sector. Uh, it's up to into some resistance here around $45 per share. So, you know, it depends on your your outlook, you know, near term. Could I see some consolidation or pullback? Sure. But overall, I still think there's there's more upside uh, in this name. So I would continue to hold buckle. Thank you. Thanks for the call. No problem. Now let's squeeze in another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin. My question is about Broadcom, ticker symbol AVGO. I entered into this company about $400. That's my average cost is about $400. And it's made a good rise since then. I was just wondering if, should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? I'd be very surprised if you told me I should buy more, but just tell me what you think. Thank you. Well, it's now on a run up higher. It's at $550 per share uh, after this uh, recent pullback. Now, the semiconductor space in general is going through some growing pains uh, as the demand for physical goods ebbs. Uh, but Broadcom long-term is one of the most widely diversified, best run chip manufacturers in the world. Now it currently is over earning a bit. Its return on assets is about 14%, whereas the longer term average is closer to 10%. Uh, so I do think it's once again over earning, but it's still a a great company to to own. So I would I would maybe buy more on a pullback. Um, it is modestly undervalued at these levels, uh, but not something that I would I would sell. Uh, it's definitely one of the stronger names within the industry. So that was Broadcom, A-V-G-O. Now we're heading into a break. Steve and I are happy to play your recorded voice bank questions, but we love your live calls as well. And our number never changes, never closes. It's InvestTalk at 888-99-CHART. A question for Steve or Justin? Hi, uh, this is Rick from Hawaii. What are your thoughts on writing put options? My wife has a rollover 401k from a previous employer. What's your question? And I'm just wondering how you're able to predict these market reversals. Right now, they've been under pressure. I think that that buying opportunity is being set up. IPOs are there for the vast majority of them to extract capital, extract money from the novice individual investor. Here's Ken in Texas. Hey, Steve. I got a lazy boy recliner that I love and my wife loves. Do you own it or looking to buy it? And my son makes fun of me for buying because I'm 70 years old. <laughs> but now is a good time to call Invest Talk. I listen every day. 888 99Chart.
One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Let's go talk to Sid in North Carolina looking at Freeport McMoran. Hi, Justin. Good evening. Uh, thank you for taking my call, and it's been wonderful uh, listening to you and Steve, both in the live session and podcast. I have, I'm holding a small position in FCX, uh-huh. um, and I have a roughly 10% of profit, but I don't know whether this is a good time to hold, buy, or sell, so I thought of just taking your feedback on that. Thank you for your time. No problem. Yeah, Freeport is a diversified miner, uh, but it's mainly focused in copper. It does have some exposure to gold and uh, other minerals, but mainly it's a copper miner. It's going to be tied to copper prices. Now, copper prices pulled back over the summer after uh, the surge in the strong dollar. You had COVID uh, shutdowns in, in China. You had their real estate sector becoming an issue and i think that's that's really the gist of that that recent pullback but nothing broke fundamentally or technically uh with the copper trade uh the inventories of copper remain uh below historical averages and the demand for copper i think long term still remains very robust especially because of the move towards electric vehicles uh, and just modernizing our electric grid. Copper is used in so many of those green applications. So really it's a green metal. Uh, and Freeport is certainly a good operator. Now we own a copper miner for our clients. It's not this one, but this is, this is a good one. It's a top three, I guess you could probably say uh, of the quality miners uh, in the copper space in the world. And it's, it's large, $56 billion market cap. So it's kind of the bellwether. It's the Exxon Mobil of the copper space. So if you want just kind of that general exposure to it, Freeport is definitely a good one for that. So uh, I wouldn't mind buying more. It's relatively under- undervalued. I think copper prices are going higher. Uh, but I'd also look at you know some other alternatives within the space because we have others ranked a bit ahead of it. Thanks for the call. Now my focus point concerns this headline. Be sure to avoid mistakes with required minimum distributions for your retirement accounts. So we're heading into year end, and this is a time we know that we we send this we send notices to a lot of our clients who have not taken their required minimum distribution. Any of those that are over seventy two now that before the Secure Act of twenty twenty used to be seventy and a half now it's seventy two, but if you don't take your RMD, you could be hit with a 50% tax penalty on the amount that you do not take. Now, your RMD is based on the qualifying accounts balance on December 31st of the previous year. So for 2022, that means what your account balance was at the end of last year. Even if it, even it went down, still based on the end of year account value. Now there is a life expectancy factor that the IRS puts on it to basically take that balance and divide it by uh, a certain number. 
So if you just turn 72, that is going to be 27.4, uh, but the changes uh, each year and doesn't go down proportionally. Uh, but this is all of your IRAs. So it's not just you know, if you have multiple IRAs, well, then it's going to be those combined. That's why it typically is nice to just kind of have all of your IRAs combined into one makes this uh, simpler. So that includes traditional IRAs, SEP IRAs, simple IRAs, etc. So having too many accounts means like means you can miss your calculation. For example, TD Ameritrade, our broker, we can see it in our system. They calculate it for the clients and say, hey, this is how much you should take. And then, you know, we, we plan on getting to them throughout the year. Now, inherited IRAs are not included in the aggregation rule. So if you have inherited one that doesn't, it's not included. Okay. Now, 401k accounts, RMDs must come from each account that is subject to the withdrawal. Okay, so 401k accounts are kind of separate. Now, if you're, if one thing you have to be wary of is the tax implications. So if say you turn 72 this December and you're eligible to take your RMD, but you don't have to take it for six months or really until April of next year. That means that, but you still have to take another RMD next year. So you could lump two RMDs in one year. So you don't want to do that. You want to make sure you take it this year and then one next year. Now, one thing a lot of people get wrong uh, is that they try to combine IRAs or they think, uh, I'm saying between spouses, they combine, they, they think, hey, it's my wife's IRA or it's my, uh, or it's my husband's IRA. They're all kind of one and the same, they're all mixed together. Uh, IRAs are always separated. I don't care how long you've been married. They're separate for each individual. Okay. Now you can also, you can also uh, satisfy your RMD by doing a qualified charitable distribution up to $100,000 by transferring money directly from your IRA to a qualified charity. We do have a few clients that do that. Uh, and so it's a little extra step, but if you are going to give it to charity anyway, it's a nice, easy way to make that happen uh, and not have it hit your, your, your tax return. I think that's it. That was the coverage of that. I also, after the break, I might get a bit into planning for your RMD so you're not hit with it all at once. Now, the next and best talk, the details behind this tip. Start your estate plan with eight key steps. See if we'll get to that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process, 
designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Before the break, I touched a bit on the pitfalls of RMDs, but what about planning for your RMD? A lot of people don't think about this, and this can be pretty important, especially since some recent tax rulings makes the window, uh, total window for your RMD a lot smaller, and that translates into much bigger withdrawals each year, especially as you get older and older. And if you have a sizable amount in your IRA and your 401k, it can really be a ticking time bomb of just big withdrawals that suddenly push you into a high tax bracket. So you need to begin thinking about RMD planning. And, you know, so many people are pumped tons of money into tax deferred vehicles like our IRAs and 401ks as opposed to Roth IRAs and 401ks. And that has, and they've always tried to push the withdrawals out as long as possible. But there's a problem with that is that the point of RMDs and the reason it's on in the, in the law is that it forces a schedule on you of how and when to take out the money. And 
Instead, most people should think about what is the best schedule for them. Especially considering today's tax rates are relatively low. It's, as of now, the 2017 tax cuts are set to expire in 2025. So should you be thinking about maybe locking in those lower rates? Especially with, think of our debt ceiling, or you know, our debt, we're already talking about the debt ceiling, the amount of debt we have in this country. Those are probably going to expire. Okay. So they also uh, got rid of the stretch IRA. So if you if you're if you inherit an IRA or you're you know you pass away and your your uh, uh, your family inherits that an IRA, they now have to take it out within ten years. A lot smaller than it was uh, before. Then you have to calculate Social Security and what that's going to push you combined, right? What your Social Security income is plus your RMDs that might push you into a fairly high tax bracket. So the first thing you need to do is rethink your contributions. Maybe not put all into a traditional IRA, maybe split it between a, your Roth and your traditional or your regular 401k and a Roth 401k. Most people have that option now. Remember, the tax deduction of an IRA or 401k, it's kind of like a loan from the government that you'll eventually have to pay back. And then think about tapping your IRA a bit earlier. Studies actually show that what you want to do early on in retirement is to do Roth conversions, as well as tap into those IRAs up until the first level of your taxable deduction. So take advantage of that taxable deduction as much as possible. And then from there, you take some money out of your, your, your taxable accounts. Okay, so this is definitely something you should be thinking about, especially talking to your CPA about is making sure that you're not dealing with massive RMDs, especially later in life, because once you're there, you can't do anything about it. So set your own schedule. Now let's keep things moving and swing back to the Best Talk Voice Bank. This question came in earlier on 888-99 chart. Hey, Stephen, Justin. My name is Miguel Lopez. Calling to ask about ticker symbol X. I believe it's USA Steel. I have a small position, and uh, I was wondering if it's a good investment to buy right now or if you recommend something more of a, an ETF for steel. Thank you, and thanks for all you do. All right, looking at U.S. Steel, and this is, as you expect, one of the largest steel makers here in the U.S. They also have some, interesting enough, some capacity in Slovakia. Now, they primarily serve North American customers. The appliance market, electrical market, construction market, transportation market, etc. Uh, but history shows that their profit margins aren't fantastic. Now, there are some shifts within the industry and regulation to try to prevent the dumping of steel from places like China who produce steel in a less environmentally friendly way. Uh, so that's certainly going to help them. But there are other U.S.-based steel makers that are also going to benefit, but historically have been more consistently profitable. So what I would say is, I like that you're looking in this space, but we've done this analysis as well. 
there are two in the top of our list, and I can't say which ones they are. But U.S. Steel is definitely definitely second or third tier. And there's a couple that are first tier steel makers uh, from, once again, consistency of, profit, consistency of profitability, balance sheet, profit margins, etc. There's just better options within the space. So do a little more homework. I like where you're looking. Basic material space. I do think uh, you're still going to see consistent demand, especially for infrastructure, uh, for cars, for transportation vehicles, even though the economy is slowing. Uh, I still see some, some longer term secular tailwinds to our domestic manufacturers of steel. But unfortunately, U.S. Steel isn't one of the better operators, even though you think yeah, it's U.S. Steel. It's not. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Nick in Manhattan Beach looking at DV. Uh, hi, Justin. Yeah, um, the stock is Double Verify. Okay. It, um, it, it's a, it essentially is a platform that advertisers use to uh, verify the quality of their ads, whether it's um, for fraud or viewability or for geography. And so they, they generate revenue from the advertising industry. Um, I think they, they, they've been around for about 10 years that went public in early 2021. Mm -hmm. um, I'm asking you for your opinion just on the, the core business fundamentals on the margins and um, profitability of the business and not so much the devaluation because I know it's overpriced. But um, obviously, I'm looking to buy quality businesses irrespective of um, valuation. And I think this is one of them. Thank you. Okay. Uh, well, it is profitable. And it's doing well. So it's making 52 cents a share this year, 63 cents a share next year, making 27 or it's trading at $27 uh, per share. So, you know, for looking multiple in the 40s or 50s, depending on, uh, you know, where that ultimately comes in. Now, the currently the ad markets is softening, especially the digital ad market. There's a lot of spending in that space because that's where people were buying right online. And that's kind of ebbing as more and more people move to back, back to brick and mortar. So that's certainly going to be a near-term headwind, headwind, and then it's just a soft economy. Now, from a profitability standpoint, they're profitable. Operating margins about 10%, 11%. Return equity, 6.7%, which isn't great, but it is trending higher, so I like that. They have no debt in their balance sheet, zero long-term debt. Looks like they have roughly 500 million in net cash on their balance sheet, so that's good. But you're right, they are trading at pretty egregious multiples. 11 times price to sales, enterprise value to EBITDA is 50 times. So it is a, a bit too expensive uh, in, in my book. Market cap right now is four and a half billion. Cash flow operations, 82 million. Free cash flow, 50 million. It's about a 1% free cash flow yield. That's very low. The good thing is positive. The good thing is there's no debt. So, you know, you're, you're, you'd be buying at an expensive price. But it is a good company to have on your watch list. And I probably, you know, you're probably going to get another downtrend in growth stocks uh, at some point over the next, uh, call it six to 12 months. And that might be a time to pick it up. It might be a time where the valuations come back in line. 
but 11 times sales, it's still too expensive for me. But I like that it's on your watch list because the fundamentals, profitability continue to improve. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on collateralized fund obligations. And this is very similar to CDOs where they chopped up mortgages and put it into, they packaged it into into, into investment vehicles backed by these, these homes. And see, collateralized fund obligations are very similar, but instead of homes, they're companies. And for the most part, they're private companies. And this is ownership stakes and things uh, in uh, some of the largest private equity funds, Blackstone, KKR, Aries. And this is where leverage upon leverage within the financial system is happening right now. And they've kind of flown under the radar. And you're already seeing some issues within the space and regulators are starting to wake up. Now, one example is a CFO launched by a company called Azalea. And this one particular CFO, now this isn't chief financial officer, just remember collateralized fund obligation has stakes in 38 different private equity and growth funds. So think about it. It's raising money to go invest in these private equity funds. And the funds, this is where a lot of the funding for the private equity space is coming from. Now in combined, they own stakes in 982 different companies. This is this one CFO. So 38 different private equity and growth funds and in total 982 different companies. The idea similar to the CDOs is to you diversify. And these CFOs pay fixed interest, 4%, 6%, people reaching for yield. And what's interesting here is they're not owning typically debt or owning equity. So it's acting like a bond because it's paying some sort of yield, but the underlying ownership is actually equity in these companies for the most part. Now, some of these funds probably have some, some debt as well, but this is where regulators, especially in the insurance space are starting to wake up because a lot of insurance companies are investing in these structures. And while S&P Global and Fitch, they rate these CFOs A+, which is investment grade. But we saw this before, right? Just bundling assets and slapping a high credit rating on it. Because, you know, the biggest question mark here is what is the value of these private equity funds? We know that the companies with in them, especially in the tech space, have come down dramatically, 40, 50, sometimes 80% from their highs. Now, is that being reflected in the private equity valuation? Is that being reflected in the CFO price? Unlikely. Now, there's some cushion that they do build into this, but it just shows the le layers of leverage within 
the riskiest part of our financial system today, which is private equity and private companies. Now, this started actually in the early 2000s. And most of these CFOs were downgraded or restructured during the downturn. And between 2007 to 2013, those six years, no more were issued because there wasn't an appetite for that type of risk. But as time went on, the financial crisis came further in the rearview mirror, people were chasing yield and looking for ways to magnify returns. And I wanted to highlight this because there's probably a lot of people out there that own insurance companies, they own entities that are exposed to this, maybe they're exposed to these things directly, because a lot of times they're pitched through the big investment houses, Morgan Stanley's, Merrill Lynch's of the world, and sold to wealthy investors, whether that's a CFO structure or it's a private equity structure. And it just goes to show you the amount of leverage and the fact that, once again, the regulars are waking up to it. Now, will it, the difficult part here will be, can you price it? Right? A home, you can price fairly well. You can run a CME, you can look at the last transactions over the last six months or in a similar city, similar size and number of bedrooms and, and baths, et cetera. And you can kind of value what the underlying asset is. In the private market, it's much more difficult. And that's why you never know when that's gonna create a problem because I think uh, everyone's kind of whistling past the graveyard right now. Now this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom when our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99Chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. I have a question about buying stocks. I was wondering if I bought a stock, but then I do you have to wait until after the settlement date to sell the stock? So that was my question, and I will be listening for the answer on your show. Thank you. No, that's why there's day traders. You can buy a stock one minute and sell it the next. Most brokers allow you to do that. So should be no reason to wait for the settlement date. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on retailers right now. And inventory levels in some parts of the retail market are elevated, mainly general merchandise. They're... They have, they have a lot of, a lot of stockpiles of, of unsold goods. The ratio of inventory to sales in those type of stores is that 1.54 as, as of September. Before the pandemic, it was 1.39. Okay, but in general, 
the overall sector, retail sector's ratio of inventory to sales is at 1.25. And that's compared to 1.47 in September of 2019. So it depends on what type of store you are. So companies or uh, places like Walmart, elevated inventory. Places that sell things like, where is it? Apparel, appliances, sporting equipment. While stockpiles are growing, they're actually fine with it. Because what they're most worried about is supply chain disruptions. That's what they've been worried about the last few years. And now the opposite's happen, happening, where they have a little bit more inventory, but they're kind of okay with it. They're taking advantage of strong consumer demand. And if they have something in stock, they're more likely to get the customer to come and visit their store, for example, and purchase other products. And so in some ways, this is a good thing for parts of the, uh, the retail market. Some companies like Nike uh, are seeing inventories rise. Last quarter, they said inventories rose 44% compared to the same period a year ago. But they're only going to mark down about 10% of that inventory because it's, you know, out of season. And so in the retail space, you really have to be selective. You know, we had that call earlier about Buckle. With that Buckle, they're good at keeping inventory tight. They're good with their supply chains. Others, not so much. And so some are over earning. If you're looking backwards and they have too much inventory and that's going to come down. Others, they, they've had too much inventory for a while and they're trying to right size that inventory. So that's definitely something that you have to keep an eye on with retailers is the level of inventory that they have. And how does that compare to history? Because when companies have too much inventory, they don't like that sitting on their balance sheet for long. And so what do they do? They discount. That hurts margins, that hurts profits. But if inventory is relatively light or in line with long-term averages, they're less like, likely to discount. They're okay with it. And different sectors, different parts of the retail market are in different stages of that inventory right size. Some are late in it, some are early in the process. And so when you're doing your research on these individual names, make sure you understand where they are in that cycle. Well, I think that about does it for me today. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another and best talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage, to tell, encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime, as always, at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And we have surpassed the 47.5 million download mark thanks to you. And keep telling your friends and family about Invest Talk. Be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And once again, I thank you for tuning in for this hour. Independent thinking, shared success. This is the best talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. 
Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.